It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral. Simpler communications. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. Welcome to the show, MD Nation. We're here. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we are back with the Week 11 recap. Of course, this is all the Sunday afternoon games. We'll be going over in today's episode, jam-packed, a lot of content to go over, a lot of new developments to talk about, so excited to dive into all of the new information, all of the gameplay that we saw, and hopefully you guys have had a successful week 11 so far. I know a lot of games are going to come down to tonight's game and Monday night. We got the Chargers, we got the Chiefs, so there's going to be a lot of fantasy matchups that are still yet to be determined because there's a lot of high-powered offensive players in both of those games, or both of those teams, I should say, in that game. So we have a lot we're going to have to wait for as far as exactly what your teams are going to turn out to be, but we have a lot to unpack right now, moving forward. So we know looking ahead in the weeks to come, as we only have a couple more weeks of the regular season for fantasy football to get into those playoffs, which we're all trying to get to and all trying to win that championship with the MD's Fantasy Football Show is here to help you try to do. And of course, tomorrow we'll be back with the Sunday night, the Monday night recap and the waiver wire report looking forward. But for now, we're going to go over all the information that you need to know heading into your next week's, all the information you need to know coming out of the weekend. So we're going to jump into the break and get started because we have so much to go over. And we are doing this from the mobile studios, which means only the audio version is available. Don't worry, we'll be back with the live sports caster stream this Thursday and Friday when we do the preview episodes per use. But for now, this will be the audio version and tomorrow's show will be just the audio version as well. Just so you guys are aware and keeping up exactly with what's going on with the show right now. But let's go ahead and hit that break and get into it. 
The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become the newest member of the Belly Up Sports Network. The Belly Up Sports Network is a rising star in the sports industry. After having emerged onto the scene in just a year, they have accrued a massive following with bold articles, standout podcasts, and great debate amongst followers in the forums. Sign up for their newsletter and get access to all of the information throughout the Belly Up Sports Network. Go to bellyupsports.com today to join. Be bold and stand out. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let's kick this off and get the most probably boring game out of the way of the weekend, which was the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. A perfect example of if you don't have a fantasy player, you did not care about this game whatsoever. Of course not. Why would you? And guess what? If you played your Buffalo Bills players against the Miami Dolphins, as per usual, they did what you needed them to do when playing the Dolphins. Josh Allen had a big game. 256 yards, three passing touchdowns, actually had more than 50% completion percentage against the Dolphins. It always helps when you get to play them. Always. Next week against Denver will probably not go nearly as smoothly as that defense has still been playing really well, even though that offense is super putrid. Uh, In this game, Devin Singletary, 15 carries, 75 yards, tacked on only one reception for four yards. The annoying part here is, of course, Frank Gore just won't go away. Just not enough. 11 carries in this game for only 27 yards. He did have a catch for 18, but my goodness, I get it. You run the ball a lot. Frank Gore is going to get worked in. He's not going away. We all know this, but come on. At some point, at some point, you just let Devin Singletary go. Now, I know you look at this and say, well, you got 16 touches. There's no reason in the world Devin Singletary should not be getting 20-plus touches every single week with this team. Not when he's explosive as he is. Not when that offense needs explosive players. Not when Frank Gore can only fall forward for two yards, and that's about it at this point in his career. It's, it's done. It's over. The days of Frank Gore getting double-digit carries should no longer be the situation. You want to give him somewhere between 7 and 8 to spell Devin Singletary? Fine. But there's no reason in the world that Frank Gore's usage should be stopping Devin Singletary from getting 20 touches. I mean, it's just, it's just really frustrating. Especially in a matchup like this where Singletary was running really well and could have had a much bigger game had he been allowed to do so. That's basically what it comes down to. John Brown, 9 catches, 137 yards, 2 touchdowns on 14 targets. Now, I like John Brown. I had him ranked as a top-end wide receiver, too. I thought he had a safe floor. I told a lot of people to play him. There was a lot of questions about him this past weekend. Glad to a lot of people. But I, I kept telling people to play him based on his floor and the matchup, being he'd been pretty consistent this week, and you liked the match against the Miami Dolphins. I didn't think 
And, you know, he has the ability to get big plays. But I did not think going into this game that he was looking at, you know, over well over 100 yards and two touchdowns. That I was not... I was not ready for. One of the touchdowns was kind of lucky. I mean, it got tipped by the defender. It happened to land in the John Brown's arms, but nonetheless, it still counts. It still counts as a huge day for John Brown. This one, he's, this is a guy who's been consistently good. Regardless, was the most impressive is that regardless of Josh Allen playing well or not, whether he's completing 50% of his balls or closer to 60, like he was in this game, John Brown has gotten his targets and has been able to produce and give you a high floor every single week. He's close. He's making himself more of a lower-end wide receiver two week in, week out than being a high-end wide receiver three with upside. That's how consistent he has been, especially over the past month. Now, next week is Denver. Might be a different story, and we'll get to that when we, you know, when we get later on the week, we start talking about the preview matchups and everything like that. But it's been impressive to see, and he's been probably a very viable piece of your fantasy teams trying to make the playoffs. And I don't expect that to cool down. Cole Beasley, four catches, 38 yards. Look, I think this team, and I've said it before and time and time again, I am never going to go down in my matchup with Cole Beasley in my lineup because he's simply two hit or miss and the upside is not really there. I know he's been performing better than expectations have been on him for the past few weeks and really this season in general, but I'm not going down with Cole Beasley in my lineup. This offense only has room for one wide receiver to produce on a week-in, week-out basis that is John Brown, period. As far as the Dolphins side of the ball goes, uh, Kalen Balazs only had nine carries. Now, he did fall into the end zone. So if you had forced to play to Kalen Balazs, you thought, oh, well, it's Buffalo. He's the workhorse. You're hoping he fell in. Well, he did fall into the end zone. So he wasn't absolutely horrendous for your fantasy day. But other than those nine carries for one yard apiece, he didn't give you anything in the passing game. We don't expect him to give you anything in the passing game. You have to pray that he falls into the end zone for him to have fantasy value. And that's pretty much it. And that's all you're going to get. And that's all you got in this one. So you can't go ahead and keep playing him. Ryan Fitzpatrick did have a good game in this one, pretty unexpectedly too. Didn't have any touchdowns, but didn't have any turnovers and did go over 300 yards. So he was, he was serviceable enough. I'm not going to stream him anytime soon. I'm not trying to make that argument for you, but it's good to see him be able to do this because it keeps guys like Devontae Parker fantasy relevant, who in a tough matchup, I think a lot of people wanted to stay away. I know I would. I wanted to stay away from playing Devontae Parker against Tredavious White for sure, especially if you had better options to go to, even knowing that he would get his volume share, and he did. He got his 10 targets, but you, you knew he was going to get probably 7 to 10 targets because he's been doing that every single week no matter what the matchup is. What you didn't expect is he's going to get 7 catches for 135 yards. Dev, Devontae Parker is a high and wide receiver 3 every single week, and as long as he's going to be tending to number 1 and continue to be in this position to get these target shares, he's been making the most out of his opportunities. I want to mention that I was also high on Devontae Parker in the offseason. Just I thought he could have some fantasy value. It took a little while for him to get going. Uh, I'll give you that one. But towards the end of the season now, Devontae Parker is somebody who is definitely an incredibly valuable piece to have as a wide receiver three, as a flex play, as a guy you've been able to ride through these bye weeks and get fantastic production out of. And I, continue, I think that's going to continue to be the case because the opportunities aren't going to go away. So he's been great for that as well. But not really anything else to unpack in this game. No real injuries of note. So let's move on to the Texans and the Baltimore Ravens. A game that a lot of people are excited for. Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson. People think it's going to be a good game. Look, set the score aside of the 41-7 blowout on the Baltimore Ravens side. Just set that aside real quick. The biggest thing to take out of this game is that that Baltimore Ravens defense, since acquiring Marcus Peters, has clearly, unequivocally, taken a step up 
and they are going to be a top five defense the rest of the way. Not only are you going to not want to have to play them, whether you have a running back or a wide receiver or a quarterback, whatever the case may be, but they are going to continue to put this offense in great situations. This is the number one scoring offense in football right now, period. I With Ravens, how much they run the ball with Lamar Jackson, I know that comes as a surprise to a lot of people, especially with the high-flying offenses out there, especially with the Kansas City Chiefs, for instance, out there. But the Baltimore Ravens are the number one scoring offense. A lot of it has to do with they're just more physical than everybody else. They're running through. Of course, it has to do with Lamar Jackson. But a lot of it, as of late, also has to do with the fact that nobody can move the ball on this defense consistently. They're just giving opportunity after opportunity back to that offense and putting them in the situations where they can say pro game script week in and week out where they can continue to run on their rely on their running game, rely on Lamar Jackson making plays, and they don't have to play Lamar Jackson from the pocket. They don't have to depend on Lamar Jackson to beat you with his arm. Even though, frankly, he did beat the Texans with his arm in this game. 17 of 24, 222 yards, but four passing touchdowns. Not to mention he ran for 86 yards. The guy is unbelievable. He's putting up 30 points every single week. I guarantee you it's going to continue. Their toughest matchup was the New England Patriots. They don't play anybody who's that good on defense at all for the rest of the game for the rest of the season. Lamar Jackson is going to win people championships. Plain and simple. And I, I can't I can't I have in one of my leagues. Hopefully he'll be able to take me to the promised land. But Lamar Jackson's gonna win people championships. He is Michael he Michael Vick on crack. What people Look, all these people out there who are Lamar Jackson haters and are keep trying to say, like, well, if you actually force him to have to play quarterback, he's not that great, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, his best part of his game is his playmaking ability. And I say playmaking ability because his best part of his game is not the fact that he runs. It's not how explosive of a runner he is. He makes plays off the run. He opens up his passing game based on his legs and what he's able to do to buy time in the pocket. And also he has to keep that linebacker, keep that safety, have his eyes on him. It opens up everything. He's a better passer than what Michael Vick was at this point in his career. And correct me if I'm wrong, but until Michael Vick had to go to prison, there wasn't anybody who was able to stop Michael Vick on a consistent basis. No one. And Lamar Jackson's already a better passer than he is. Just think about that for a second. This guy can make all the throws. All those knocks on him coming out of his rookie season, does he have the arm, doesn't have the accuracy? He can make he has all the throws, has all the tools, and he's developing before our eyes throwing the football. There, been plenty, there was plenty of times in this game they went five wide and let him rip it with his arm. And it's not like this is a quarterback who has a ton of weapons. He has Marquise Brown, he has Mark Andrews. Outside of that, everyone else is really just a role player and frankly would be bench players on any one of these other good offensive teams. They would. They wouldn't be starting. Willie Sneed's not starting for anybody. Michael is, Miles Boykin's not starting for anybody. Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle aren't producing for anybody. Only for the Ravens. Only for this team. I just want to keep pointing that out because all these people who keep naysaying on Lamar Jackson are out of their minds. Plain and simple. He's going to be great rest of the way. I know looking at the box score, you see, oh, Gus Edwards had eight carries for 112 yards and a touchdown. He's so much more effective than Mark Ingram. He came in, look, he had a 63-yard touchdown, so half of his production came on one run. And it was at the end of the game when they blew him out and Mark, I mean, they had all the backups in. He was in there. He made that run when RG3 came in as the quarterback. Okay, so nothing to take out from that. Mark Ingram still had 13 carries, 
48 yards did have a big game in the passing game, which you're not used to seeing, which was nice because he didn't give you a ton on the ground. And look, with Mark Ingram, it's been a little frustrating. He's been a solid RB2 every single week. That hasn't been the issue. He's been producing. Problem is that in games like this where you expect Mark Ingram to have a bigger game, he doesn't wind up going crazy on the running. Now, I'm going to talk about his receiving stats in a little bit, but just in general on the running game, just because of how much Lamar Jackson is running, it's kind of taking away from those big 100-yard touchdown games that Mark Ingram really could be getting in this offense as well. But he's been putting up RB2 numbers, and you're not going to complain about this one because he did have three catches for 37 yards and two receiving touchdowns. Because he's involved in that, acid, that, that facet of the game. Justice Hill's not involved in this offense enough. Not until the games are blown out and they're playing their backups anyway. Because he, he winds up with five carries for 18 yards. He wound up for a catch here, nine yards. But he didn't do any of that work until the game was already well in hand. So this is still Mark Ingram's backfield. He's going to have those opportunities. But until they play a team who can actually have to make them play their starters for all four quarters, which actually hasn't happened in a little while now, it's going to be a little limited. But he's been an RB2 for you every single week, so you're not going to complain too much. The one you're going to be a little bit disappointed on is Marquise Brown. Two catches, 23 yards on four targets. This was a big matchup here. Now, technically speaking, he had the same amount of targets he had against Cincinnati. He was just connected on all four of those targets last week. Had the 80 yards, had the touchdown. And this was another matchup we thought he could maybe get down the field. What's clear is that Marquise Brown is not 100% back from that ankle. Not that he was a week ago either, but it's still definitely hindering him. So you're going to have to pick your spots. He's still somebody who needs to be rostered. He's still somebody who can be a weapon for you, can be that upside flyer that you need to maybe put your team in a position to match someone else's firepower if you think they have a little bit more than you. And he should be rostered on your playoff matchups too because with this being the number one scoring offense, with him being the best deep threat that they have and how well they're able to run play action and everything like that, he's going to have matchups you're going to be able to play him. Certain ones you're not. That's fine. But he should be still rostered. I know a lot of people are going to be disappointed after this performance, though. So I just want to keep people, you know, even keeled. That's what we do here. Mark Andrews, four catches, 75 yards, a touchdown. Also only on four targets, but Mark Andrews continues to be a tight end one. Continues to be the best pass catcher on a number one scoring offense. It's pretty much all you need to know as far as the tight end position goes. On the Texan side of the ball, it was abysmal. Abysmal. Now, you knew this wasn't going to be a great matchup, but you kind of figured that Deshaun Watson would be able to make enough of something happen for him to still have to play him because he's been a QB1. 18-29, 169 yards, no touchdowns, an interception, and only had 12 yards on the ground. They bottled up, frustrated the hell out of Deshaun Watson. They did. And unfortunately with Deshaun, he's become a little bit of a boomer bust play. He's still QB1. You're still starting him every week. All right, you're not going to have a better quarterback option, most likely, uh, unless you're in two quarterback leads or in eight team leagues. You're not going to have a better quarterback option. But he has been a bit boomer bust because when he has a bad game, he has a bad game. And that's been kind of a little bit of the problem with him so far. But their schedule gets easier the rest of the way. They still have to lean on that offense in order to win games. They're still 6 and 4. They're still top of that, NFC, that AFC South right now, or competing for the top of that AFC South right now. So, better days are ahead. You're not going to really worry about this. The one thing I think you do have some confidence in, Carlos Hyde, who's been that RB3 for you guys, playing that flex role, filling in for your RB2 spots during these bye weeks, during injuries. Been a pretty valuable guy. Didn't get a ton of touches, but 9 carries, 65 yards, and a touchdown against a pretty decent defense. I'll take that production. That's That bodes pretty well with me moving forward. So, 
Definitely like to see that there with Carlos Hyde. Duke Johnson also did get involved in this game. Six carries, 40 yards. He just didn't get involved in the passing game as much. Two catches, four yards. But that's been my problem with Duke Johnson all year long. That's why I have kind of stayed away from Duke Johnson if I possibly can. I've told other people as, as such. While he had been getting worked in more in the passing game leading up until this game, and I thought would be worked more in than he in two targets. Uh, let's be fair. I definitely thought he'd get more than that in this one. But it just goes to show you this offense isn't built around checking it down to the running back on a consistent basis. It's not one of the staples. There's going to be games where even if they are in a situation where they should be dumping it down to the running back, they might not necessarily do it all the time. It's not what Watson's built to do. It's not what this offense is built to do. And while Will Fuller was out for this week, he did practice in a limited capacity. A lot of people think he sat out this week so he could play in the Thursday game in the big divisional matchup against the Colts on Thursday night football. So there's a good chance we're going to see Will Fuller back. And when he comes back, they really don't dump it off to the running back. So they really go down the field, especially they're going to have Fuller and Stills with Hopkins there against the Colts on Thursday. So I'm not expecting much out of Duke Johnson the rest of the way. I'm just not, unless something were to happen to Carlos Hyde. As far as DeAndre Hopkins go, has a solid game for you in this one. Seven catches, 80 yards on 12 targets. You know, he's DeAndre Hopkins. Doesn't matter the matchup. He still finds a way to get you a serviceable game. This wasn't a great matchup for him. Better days are ahead for him as well. So I'm not going to worry about that either. I just take out of the fact he continues to be solid. Now when Will Fuller comes back, does he lose a little bit of targets? Yeah, maybe a few. But Will Fuller actually has to stay on the field for us to even care in the first place. That pretty much wraps it up for this game. The next game up we got to talk about here is the Saints and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Saints did what they were supposed to do in this game. They controlled it from the get-go. Tampa Bay was never really in it. I know scoring-wise, they were maybe only a score behind here or there, but really for all intents and purposes, they were they were never really in this game. And Saints were able to take care of business. Drew Brees... They have a ton of yards, only 228, but he did have three touchdowns in this game. One of which, of course, there's always going to be one that goes to Michael Thomas. Nine catches, 100, I'm sorry, eight catches, 114 yards, a touchdown on 11 targets. Is there a more consistent wide receiver in the league than Michael Thomas? Tyreek Hill's been on a tear so far this year. I mean, since Patrick Mahomes has come back and Tyreek Hill's come back from his injury, he's been pretty consistent as well. And you expect him to be in that offense. And he'd been a little bit of a hit or miss type of wide receiver one most of his career leading up to this point. He's been pretty consistent. But between last year and this year, and with Drew Brees out and Teddy Bridgewater coming in, has there been a more consistent wide receiver than Michael Thomas? There there hasn't. Plain that that's the answer. There hasn't been. And he's making a great case why he's gonna probably be the number one fantasy wide receiver that gets drafted going into next season. Drew Brees comes back. He continues to be number one. They continue to not have a legitimate compliment wide receiver on the other side of him, which very well may be the case because they have cap issues as it is. And Traquan Smith did not take the step up that they were expecting him to this season. Yeah, Michael Thomas, is he's just in a position where he's always going to get double-digit targets. He's always fantastic. Alvin Kamara got back involved in the passing game in this one as well. Didn't have a huge game. Didn't have a bad game. Didn't have a huge game. Didn't expect him to have a huge game against Tampa Bay. 13 carries, 75 yards. So you like the fact that he looked better on the ground. He looked smoother. He looked faster uh, since coming back from the injury. 5.8 yards a carry against a very good rush defense. And, you know, Latavius Murray had 10 carries. So he was worked in right along with him, but only 27 yards. He's the type of running back. He's not going to do that well against Tampa Bay. And you kind of knew that coming into this game. Uh... Kamara, though, had 10 catches on 10 targets for 47 yards. He is the second pass catcher. He is that second wide receiver on this team. 
Jared Cook didn't get worked in as much as you would have thought against Tampa Bay. Only two targets, but did convert on both of those for two catches, 33 yards, and he got into the end zone. So if you played Jared Cook against Tampa Bay, which I know a lot of people probably did, he still wound up working out for you. So you're not mad at it at the end of the day. Just not as much work as you maybe would have expected in this particular matchup. But Jared Cook continues to be a guy who has an opportunity to score touchdowns. But I do think he's going to be matchup dependent from here on out. So kind of keep that in mind. I still think he's more in the streaming option of tight ends than he is somebody that you can play as, as an every week option. Murray's going to have better days ahead too. Because as long as he's getting worked into this clip, this is what you want to see. Kamara getting 13 carries, but Latavius getting 10. That That's the kind of split that you want to see. That's In better matchups, he's going to have flex appeal moving forward. As far as Tampa Bay Buccaneers go, we're going to have to find out exactly what's going on with Jameis Winston. He hurt his ankle towards the end of the game. As of right now, we're not too concerned about it being a long-term thing. We'll see what his status is, and we'll probably find out later on today. We're recording this late Sunday night. You guys are listening Monday morning. We'll we'll probably find out later on today if he goes for MRI, maybe what the results are when they come back by Tuesday or later on Monday afternoon, whatever the case may be. We will be on top of that. As always, make sure you're following us along on Twitter at MDSFFshow. We'll always keep you up to date with those player news and update notifications to make sure you have the edge on your competition, especially this time of year. It is never more important than right now for your fantasy leagues. Now, we'll have to wait and see. In this game, four picks. I mean, he is he's turning over the ball a lot even for Jameis Winston. All right, that, that ever since his five interception game, I don't know if he's just like screw it, YOLO. I don't know I don't know if James Winston is like, I'm going to be aggressive, compel high water. I don't, nothing, they have nothing to lose at this point. That much is true at three and seven. But, whoo, even James Winston's throwing a lot of interceptions for James Winston. So, four picks in this one. They go over 300 yards. They get you two touchdowns. So, salvages his fantasy day in some respects with that. Had 23 yards on the ground. They never really bothered to try to run the football in this they were down early they were down 13 to nothing in the first quarter uh, i was down they were down 20 to 7 heading into half so this was never a situation where they could actually go to the running game it's a little pathetic how 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 less or how low of the volume was for the running game i mean ronald jones only had four carries in this one and uh you know their backup fullback there i'm not going to even try to pronounce his name. I'm not going to make a fool of myself there, but he only had two carries too. Peyton Barber actually was not involved at all except for the passing game. He wound up getting you a touchdown in the receiving game. I don't know who would have played Peyton Barber though against the Saints. Hopefully you didn't bother because uh, even with that touchdown, he still put up single digit points at the end of the day. So hopefully you didn't have to play Peyton Barber, but if you did, he did manage to fall into the end zone without getting a carry. So that's pretty impressive when it comes to Peyton Barber. Uh, Ronald Jones was not that involved in the passing game. That was a disappointing factor because, you know, Bruce Aarons came out and said he's still going to be involved in the passing game. We're still going to use him in that capacity. He had four targets in this one, a game in which you're trying to come back from behind, a game in which there should have been some check downs. And with Jameis throwing four picks, maybe he should have just checked it down more, and that could be on Jameis too. Uh, we'll, you know, we've gone back and looked at the film on this one, and really just there wasn't emphasis on using the running backs in general coming into this game plan with the game script of how it went. Uh, only two catches for one yard on that, four targets too, by the way. It was pretty bad better days are ahead for him I still think he's somebody who they do plan on trying to have involved in the passing game this is an offense that will put up points we know this so better days are ahead for him there too I still think he's somebody who needs to continue to be rostered as far as the receptions go uh it wasn't Mike Evans it wasn't Chris Godwin and once again it was not OJ Howard Cameron Brait 14 targets 
10 receptions, 73 yards for Cameron Brait. Do not go back and pick up Cameron Brait. I completely chalked this up to being 100% an aberration and not something that we're going to look forward to as being an emphasis from Tampa Bay. But it's just shocking to see. No Marshawn Lattimore and Mike Evans can still only get you four catches for 69 yards, and he wasn't even the lead targeted pass catcher. He was the lead targeted wide receiver, but not the lead targeted pass catcher. Only had eight in this one. Chris Godwin does get you the touchdown, but only three catches, 47 yards on six targets. His production has fallen off a bit for a mixture of reasons. You know, they've been trying to get the ball more to Mike Evans. He was ungodly hot. He was ungodly Godwin hot uh, in the beginning of the season. So, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of go into that. He continues to be a low-end wide receiver one, though, in most matchups, especially with this team. Hopefully, for Mike Evans and Chris Godwin's sake, Jameis Winston is good to go. Because even with all of Jameis Winston's bad plays, you still want him throwing them the ball because he's going to take the chance. He's going to give them opportunities. So hopefully he's still good to go moving forward. We're going to have to see what happens uh, later on. Next game, we're talking about Denver Broncos, Minnesota Vikings. So in this one, it looked like the Broncos were actually going to pull off the upset and Kirk Cousins pulled, he didn't say it coming out of the locker room, I kind of thought he would, but Kirk Cousins pulled a how do you like that? You like that. Kirk Cousins coming back. They scored 20 points in the fourth quarter. The offense completely came to life in the second half, scoring all 27 of their points in the second half in this one. All of it. Stephon Diggs, out of nowhere, finally got going. Five catches, 121 yards, a touchdown on just five targets. And a tough matchup against Chris Harris, which, you know, he was blanked in the first half and then came back to life to give you a big game. And I'm not going to say his last big game, but probably his last game as the number one wide receiver for the Vikings, unless Adam Thielen gets hurt again, because they go into their bye in week 12. So we do expect that Adam Thielen will be healthy and back and ready to go week 13. I want to say something real quick. I know teams don't like to have their bye weeks early on, but for fantasy football owners, I really wish they would. <laughs> Look, we get to week 13. It's the last game of the regular season, and yes, no one's on bye, but Week 12 is so vitally important for fantasy leagues and making the playoffs and, and dictating who's going to win the divisions and stuff like that. It'd be really nice if the league, like, you know, maybe we'll do week three. Starting week three, we do bye weeks instead of week four and not have week 12 be a bye week. That's just a, a selfish fantasy owner thing to want because you got all of these teams now. You're going to go into week 12 and have so many key players on bye. Or at least, you know, put like the Jets or the Browns or, you know, somebody who's terrible. <laughs> the Miami Dolphins next year on the bye weeks for week 12. It's brutal, man. We're going to get into that in the matchups, but with the Vikings being one of those teams as well, like they're going to be on bye next week. I mean, you got, you're got talking about Dalvin Cook. You're talking about Kirk, Kirk Cousins, who's been excellent, even in tough matchups as of late. 300 yards and three touchdowns against this Denver defense. That's impressive. And he's been pretty impressive over the past few weeks. Stephon Diggs is you know going to be on bye. Adam Thielen has been playing, but he's gone too. Like... <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot of players right there. And, you know, with them and the Chiefs and the Chargers, that's a lot of fantasy firepower just gone for a very vital week in fantasy football. Just just my own selfish fantasy football, you know, two cents to put out there. 
Uh, Kyle Rudolph, five catches, 67 yards, a touchdown. This is one of, uh, look, I had a few calls that went, that did not go my way this week, but this was one of the few ones that actually did. And I told you guys, look, I think Kyle Rudolph, because he's been scoring as of late, because they've been utilizing him in the red zone as long as Adam Thielen is out, he is somebody you can go ahead and stream at the tight end position and just give yourself a chance to score a touchdown. I also said don't expect a lot of yards. He actually gave you more yards than I would have ever imagined, but he got into the end zone in this game. Uh, so that was really good to see that one be able to come through. Dalvin Cook didn't have a great game, but still found a way to give you a decent fantasy output. Only 11 carries for 26 yards, but did get the rushing touchdown at the end of the game. Did get you five catches for 31 yards from PPR leagues. He still gave you a decent floor no matter what scoring format you were in because he was able to score because he's Dalvin Cook and you can't keep him down for forever. Uh, Irv Smith actually scored his first touchdown too, but he's just not nearly as involved. They have gone back to letting Kyle Rudolph be the main pass catcher of the two tight ends. And I, I plan on that even going away when Adam Thielen comes back anyway. On the Broncos side of the ball here, uh, Brandon Allen was still terrible. So there was, you know, nothing new there. But Philip Lindsay was decent in this game. 16 carries, 67 yards, tacked on two catches for eight yards. Not much in the passing game, but had a solid performance in a tough matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. This is not a defense that you can easily run on right now. They have a defense line that's really been penetrating, creating a lot of pass rush. Royce Freeman, more worked in than he was a week ago. Uh, but still only half the time to Philip Lindsay. Eight carries, 31 yards, one catch, 14 yards. Suddenly his work volume has consistently gone down over the past few weeks. They seem to be amping up Philip Lindsay since they've brought in Brandon Allen. Uh, whether that's going to be something that continues or not, I'm not really sure because it hasn't really been translating in wins, hasn't really been translating in better offensive production. So it'll be interesting to see if they continue to do this. Their line of thinking is that Philip Lindsay's more of a playmaker. You keep the playmaker on with the you know the rookie quarterback, give him a chance to break one, a spark plug kind of deal. So I get what they're trying to do, but Royce Freeman right now he he still needs to be rostered, especially if you own Philip Lindsay. But even if you don't, I think he still needs to be rostered. But he isn't somebody who is in the flex radar anymore right now. Not until we see hit the course correction on his production on his volume uh, with Philip Lindsay playing. Cortland Sutton. You got to play him. He's, he's a low-end wide receiver, too. Five catches, 113 yards on nine targets. He kind of falls in the same category as Devontae Parker, right? Not a good offense, not a good quarterback, but you're a really good, physical, talented wide receiver who's getting seven to ten targets pretty much every single week, and you're able to capitalize on the production, on the opportunities that's been sent your way. And that, therefore, Cortland Sutton should be a low-end wide receiver, too. He's been absolutely phenomenal. He's taken that next step up. I think we're looking at another young superstar in the making at the wide receiver position when we're talking about Cortland Sutton. No no complaints. The only thing he didn't do is score in this game. There's no complaints about Cortland Sutton. So even with Brandon Allen, you can feel safe about playing him. And Minnesota continues to be a secondary you can take advantage of. The only other receiver here, Tim Patrick, was worked in, but he's still not somebody you're going to be playing. The guy I do want to talk about a little bit here is Noah Fant. Four catches, 60 yards, not a crazy stat line, but last couple weeks, really ever since Brandon Allen's taken over, all of a sudden Noah Fant has become on, at least on fantasy radars as a streaming tight end, especially given the position, but also because he's been getting worked in the offense in general a little bit more. He was the lead targeted pass catcher in this game. He had 11 targets. Brandon Allen's looking for his tight end. So as long as that continues to be the case, and there's really no reason in my mind why he wouldn't be the second pass catcher behind Cortland Sutton in most weeks, 
Noah Fant's somebody who's going to quickly pop up on the streaming radar here as we get into playoffs, as we're talking tight ends and future situations there. So something to kind of keep in mind moving forward if you're looking for another tight end. We're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side. We still have a lot more games to get to. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is now partnered with the Unwrapped Sports Network. Unwrapped Sports Network has a top-notch sports blog covering all sports all the time with a team of talented writers. You can also visit their podcast page to listen to this show and several others covering multiple sports. Sign up for their newsletter and never miss a thing at UnwrappedSports.com. Again, that's UnwrappedSports.com. Rolling along here, coming out of the break, Let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the Detroit Lions. And let's talk about Jeff Driscoll. Two games in a row now he's been solid for fantasy purposes. They've got a great matchup next week. Look, if Matt, Stafford, Matt Stafford's out. Jeff Driscoll is somebody who's put himself in a position that you can go ahead and stream him as a quarterback for your fantasy teams if you're in that situation. 15-26, only 209 yards, but did have two passing touchdowns. Did rush around a little bit here. Got you 51 yards on the ground. Had a rushing touchdown. And he did that the first week, too. We know that about Jeff Driscoll. We know he's going to give you some yardage on the ground. So he has a little bit of a floor. But what's been impressive is that this is two weeks in a row now where he's had a tough defensive matchup, and he's been able to produce. So this is somebody I think you can go ahead, especially with some plus matchups coming up for this team. You can go ahead. You can stream him. He's safe to do. We don't know when Matthew Stafford is going to be back. We know that the report came out yesterday early on. I believe it was Adam Schefter who said that he is. He was told by doctors that it's going to be six weeks before he's healed. Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to be six weeks before he plays. They just told him it's going to be six weeks before he can expect to be fully healed with the, I'll say, minor fractures or less severe fractures in his back that he has at the moment. But there's a chance that he can play if they want to. Now, you're Detroit Lions. You're 3-6-1. and one. You don't really have a chance for the playoffs. You don't know other than maybe Matt Patricia trying to avoid being on the hot seat. Not that he would this year, but maybe you know going into next season if they didn't show some signs of improvement record-wise that maybe he would. I don't know other than him trying to be as competitive as he can all the way through down the stretch for the future of his job, why you would necessarily bring Matthew Stafford back. I hope he does. I'm, you know, I have ownership of you know, Kenny Galladay and some other Detroit Lion players who without Matthew Stafford are definitely much more hit or miss. Are definitely guys that have to be taken a step down with Jeff Driscoll because even though he's been playing pretty well over the past couple of weeks, Kenny Galladay hasn't gotten nearly the amount of targets that you're used to him seeing in this. And he had five targets in this one, which actually tied for the lead pass catchers because Marvin Jones and Danny Onondola both had five targets apiece. But he only had the one catch for 34 yards. And even last week against Chicago, where he wanted with a decent line for you, but it all came on that 50-yard touchdown bomb. So it seems like Kenny Galladay right now is is almost with Jeff Driscoll turning into a guy who's a big player bust. And that's not what you want to see out of a guy who's been a pretty consistent wide receiver too all season long and mostly based on his volume and his capabilities of being that lead receiver for this team. If that's not going to be the case, then all of a sudden you kind of have to readjust everyone on the fly and everyone has to take a tick down. Yes, Marvin Jones Jr. had two touchdowns in this game, four catches, 43 yards. But take away those two touchdowns, like I said, it's only four catches, 43 yards. 
It's not that great of a stat line. Danny Amendola, four catches, 47 yards from not being involved at all in the offense last week. Everyone just takes a step down a little bit. So hopefully for fantasy owner's sake, Matthew Stafford does come back. I don't know when that will be. Uh, they do seem to be holding out hope that it could be next week. And I think I think it's going to be one of those situations. Stafford's going to be questionable, I think, every single week. Until we actually see him practice, he has no chance to play. Now, we're not. the problem with that is we're not going to know, right? Because he could practice on a Friday and play on Sunday after not having practice on a Wednesday or a Thursday. So it's not something we're ever going to really know until late in the week. So it's going to be kind of a headache in that sense. But just kind of keep in mind moving forward. But the important thing is that Jeff Driscoll has been competent enough that you don't have to be scared away from Kenny Galladay or Marvin Jones. I would be scared off of Danny Amendola. I would be dropping him. I don't think there's going to be a situation in which in PPR leagues that we had talked about Danny Amendola in the past that he's going to present an opportunity for you to be able to utilize in the flex or wide receiver three spot, especially since week 12 is our last bye week. So I don't think there's going to be any real reason for you to own Danny Amendola, especially after this week if Matthew Stafford's not playing. But with Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, you still keep these guys around. You still start them for the most part, especially in plus matchups. But you just might have to take them down a knock or two. And if, if you have a better option than them, then maybe you go that route. Or maybe before, especially in Kenny Galladay's case, he was probably a plug-and-play no matter what the situation was. So just something to kind of keep in mind there. Uh, as far as the running back situation, this is something we had to break down because this, you know, this was a revelation to everybody involved. Uh, Ty Johnson had clear concussion protocol. J.D. McKissick the week before had gotten worked in. They seemed pretty happy with what they got. And all of a sudden... Out of nowhere, Bo Scarborough comes in, dominates the touches, looked decent, 14 carries, 55 yards, a touchdown. He was on the Dallas Cowboys at one point in his career very early on. Never, I think he did get on the active roster at one point as the backup backup to Ezekiel Elliott. That's about it. That's about what an NFL stint has been. We've seen him in preseason games. He has some decent... He reminds me a lot of... And it's going to drive me, uh, Christian Michael. So he reminds me a lot of where on paper, looking at him, he has a lot of physical attributes that you like. Now, I, maybe he doesn't flame out the way Christian Michael does, but he does have some of the same, same issues where he doesn't really have the vision. He's not as consistent as a result, but he has a physicality. He has an extra gear that you do like to see. So when there is a hole open in front of him or where the hole is supposed to be based on the play design, he's somebody who might be able to do something with the ball. And he kind of showed it in this game against the Dallas Cowboys, which is not an easy team to run on. Wasn't involved at all in the passing game. That was J.D. McKissick. He had three catches for 40 yards, and he probably wouldn't be. But... Being that he's had a better performance than Ty Johnson has since Carryon Johnson's gone out, it wouldn't surprise me if Scarborough was suddenly the lead running back or the lead rusher, at least for this team moving forward. It's hard to tell off of one game, especially a guy who came out of really essentially nowhere this week. But it's something to kind of keep in mind, and being that he had a decent performance, I would be a little bit surprised if they went away from him at this point. You don't really want to trust any Detroit Lions running back right now, but he is somebody to kind of keep your eye on if he's going to continue to be the lead rusher moving forward. Maybe you don't jump on maybe you jump on him this week because you have to because of the week 12 buys, but just kind of keep in mind there might be some other options, other directions you want to go. He's still going to have a wide range of outcomes because we still don't know exactly what the split's going to be. And if this was just a byproduct of Ty Johnson trying to make his way through concussion protocol late in the week this week. Uh, as far as the Cowboys side of the ball goes, Dak Prescott has gotten back to what he was doing earlier in the season. 
I mean, lighting it up. Look, Detroit played them much more competitively than I think anybody thought. So that's going to be a big thing, right? Because as long as offenses can keep Dallas having to be aggressive for all four quarters, then yeah, Prescott's going to have more of the volume. He threw the ball 46 times in this one, completed 29, 29 passes. 444 yards, three touchdowns. Biggest thing, no interceptions. Only gave you about 18 yards on the ground, but he don't care if he gave you for over 400 yards. I mean, he's done this last few weeks now. And that defense has gotten a little bit more banged up. Demarcus Lawrence, we don't know if he's going to miss time or not after the injury he had today. As long as that continues to be the case, they're going to be in more competitive games, more high-scoring type of games. Dak Prescott's going to continue to be a QB1 moving forward, and he has some high upside, especially in these, in these matchups. Ezekiel Elliott didn't have a great game, but 16 carries, 45 yards, a touchdown. Detroit Lions have been pretty good as of late against the run, especially with Snack Harrison back, the kind of kind of the middle of their, the interior of their defense line back. They've been a little tougher against the run than they have been the past few weeks. So something to kind of keep in mind there. But Ezekiel Elliott is Ezekiel Elliott. He scores for you in this game. You're not going to be really too worried about it. Um, he had two touchdowns in this game. I forgot to mention the receiving stats. He had two catches, 28 yards, and a touchdown there as well. So you're just you're not going to complain when your guy gets you two touchdowns. You know better days are ahead as far as his rushing average goes as well. Michael Gallup was the big wide receiver in this one. Nine catches, 148 yards on 13 targets. Now, a lot of that had to do with the fact that Amari Cooper was seeing Darius Slay all game long. And even though that was the case, Cooper still had eight targets, only three catches, 38 yards. But playing against Darius Slay, who is a shutdown corner, there has to be a reasonable expectation, even when you have a wide receiver one, that they might have a tough game that win. And because the Detroit Lions don't have anybody else in that secondary who can cover anybody... When you have a team that has multiple good wide receivers like the Dallas Cowboys do, those other guys can just show up and the quarterback can just go their way. That's why Michael Gallup was the lead targeted guy. That's why he had a huge game. Randall Cobb had a huge game in this one. Four catches, 115 yards, a touchdown on seven targets in this game. Now, I'm still not running out to pick up Randall Cobb. I know he had a good week last week. This will be the second week in a row he's actually had a decent week. But... While he did have seven targets in this one, he's still squarely behind Amari Cooper, still squarely behind Michael Gallup, and there's going to be more games than not ahead for the Dallas Cowboys and the rest of their schedule that Ezekiel Elliott will be more of a factor and be more worked in than them having to lean so much on the passing game. And when that volume tips toward back towards being balanced, Randall Cobb's going to be the first casualty of that. So that's why I'm not really... I'm not really banking on going out and getting Randall Cobb. He's not really somebody who's going to, he's not going to be on the waiver wire report. He's not going to be somebody I recommend to you guys to go ahead and get, even though he has had a couple good games in a row now. Tony Pollard coming in, four catches, 44 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, he was actually a little bit involved in this game. It was a tough game, too. Go figure. I don't expect it to be the case too much moving forward, though. We've seen plenty of games where Tony Pollard wasn't involved at all. So I expect that to be more of the situation than anything else. Jason Witten, five catches, 33 yards, no touchdowns on seven targets. I told you guys, don't go down the ship of Jason Witten. Next game, I'll talk about Jaguars and the Colts. So, on paper, if you did not watch this game, on paper, Nick Foles had a decent game. On paper, he had 296 yards, he had two touchdowns, just one pick in his first game back. So you say, hey, that's a pretty good stat line. Threw the ball 47 times, completed 33 passes. That's pretty decent, too. But if you actually go back and watch this game, if you did not have the chance to watch it you know, as it was going on, he did not play well. He didn't look particularly sharp. There's a lot of reads that he missed. There's a lot of open guys that he missed. A lot of things he just didn't see. And 
also when you're watching this game, you also kind of realize the Jaguars, this is the least amount they use Leonard Fournette all season long. He only had eight carries in this game, 23 yards. He has seven catches, so that was good there, but only 34 yards there as well. They're going to have to get back to using Leonard Fournette, even with Nick Foles back there. Um, because this team's just not built to win this way. Look, they threw the ball 47 times. got blown out by the Colts, who don't don't even have T.Y. Hilton at the moment. 33-13. Who had a quarterback in Jacoby Brissett who only threw the ball for 148 yards and still got blown out. So, the formula for the Jaguars is not to throw the ball 47 times with Nick Foles. Expect that to get tipped back more towards balance as we move forward. The biggest thing... And why the Colts did as well as they did was because of the running game. Jonathan Williams, 13 carries, 116 yards, didn't have a touchdown, came in for Marlon Mack, who the the word on him right now is that he had a fractured hand, but is not considered serious. Now, we all know he's going to miss the Thursday game, for sure. What he misses after that seems to be a bit of a question mark, but Jonathan Williams, you better believe, is going to be at, at the top of my waiver wire report this week. Better believe it. Especially going up against Houston this week, especially a team who leans on the running game. And especially since Jonathan Williams was very effective when he was in as well. Naeem Hines came in, he was worked in, he wound up having the rushing touchdown when Marlon Mack went out, but only three carries, 11 yards, only three catches for 24 yards. Jonathan Williams is going to be the running back you're going to want to own with Marlon Mack out. Firmly, firmly believe that. Naeem Hines will still get some more looks, I think, especially in PPR leagues and stuff like that. But Jonathan Williams is who you want to have moving forward. As far as Colts wide receivers go, Marcus Johnson. Yeah, who? Four catches, 38 yards, a touchdown. Zach Paschal was targeted the most, six targets. So if you're looking for that, there you go. Look, the Colts didn't have to do much in the passing game in this one. Jacoby Brissett didn't have a great game. Uh, you know, and this wasn't a great matchup as far as, you know, the strength of the Jaguars' defense is their pass coverage is their pass rush you can you can attack them on the ground sometimes and they were able to in this one so I, I think there's gonna be better days ahead for Jacoby Brissett for Zach Pascal, especially this week against Houston doesn't have much of a secondary in a game that probably should be a shootout we'll see if T.Y. Hilton's able to go he didn't practice at all last week it's still a short week again this week I, I don't know if there's really an indication that he will be able to be able to play for you guys but we will keep our eyes on that make sure you're following me along on Twitter at MDSFFshow Eric Ebron, four catches, 27 yards. Just wasn't worked down the field that much. Wasn't worked in that in the red zone that much. But again, part of the casualty of the entire passing game as a whole, just not being a big factor for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I, I did skip over the wide receivers, the Jaguars real quick, which we do have to talk about. So one of the biggest things about Nick Foles coming into this game, and I was a big proponent of it, was that we're not really going to be able to know what wide receiver is going to be his go-to guy. And because we didn't have much of a sample size leading up to the summertime, D.D. Westbrook had been the guy he was going to during that time frame in practice and whatnot. So coming into this week, we weren't really sure about what we could expect out of D.J. Chark. He had a great game. Great game. Eight catches, 104 yards, two touchdowns, 15 targets. So that's what I hold my hat on. Because like I said, this team's going to have to go back to using Leonard Fournette. This team's going to have to go back to being a run-first team if they want to stay competitive. And even at 4-6, and six, given that the AFC South is so compact right now because the two leading teams, the Colts and the Houston Texans, are both 6-4, and four, so they're only two games back. And we still have a lot of football left to be played as far as, as, far as you know real football goes. So 
in order for them to continue this playoff push and this push for the division, they're going to have to get back to using Leonard Fournette. They're going to have to get back to using the run. So don't expect Nick Foles to throw the ball for 47 times too much. And when they do, it's usually a bad game script for them. But that's not going to be the game plan. So don't expect DJ Chark to go for 15 targets and have this crazy upside that he had this week. But he's been a wide receiver too, week in and week out for fantasy football purposes all season long. What this proved, <coughs> excuse me, in this game is that with 15 targets, he is the number one wide receiver for them, even with Nick Foles in the game, especially when you compare it 15 targets to D.D. Westbrook's six targets. This is not a bad Colts secondary. It's not a great one, but it's not a bad one. They have been pretty stifling over the past few weeks. DJ Chark can continue to be a wide receiver too. That's the good news for DJ Chark owners. Uh, the bad, the, I mean, the bad news is that I just, I don't. Nick Foles just didn't play well when you actually look at it. But from a statistic standpoint, fantasy standpoint, which is all I really care about at the end of the day, he did fine. And he did what was most important. He got DJ Chark the ball because that's who you've been leaning on. It hasn't been DD Westbrook. He's been hit or miss all season long. It looks like he's going to continue to be hit or miss, even with Nick Foles in there. Four catches, 32 yards on those six targets. Wasn't much. But DJ Chark will hold his wide receiver two status. He will be that number one guy. That was what was made clear. Chris Conley, six catches, 58 yards on eight targets. That's more what I'm concerned about as far as D.D. Westbrook goes, is that Chris Conley might be getting worked in a bit more with Nick Foles over D.D. Westbrook moving forward. So just something to kind of keep in mind there. I think right now you can trust DJ Chark to be the number one wide receiver of this team, to be number two wide receiver for fantasy football purposes. But I don't think you can trust anybody else until we get more of a sample size moving forward. For you guys who own Leonard Fournette, like I said, the Jaguars are in a position where they're trying to make the playoffs. In order for that to happen, they're going to have to go back to him. So better days are ahead for Leonard Fournette. This wasn't a great matchup for him to begin with. But I don't expect the Jaguars to be in games where they get down by multiple scores that early like they did in this game uh, too too often either. And that defense will play better as a result, which will also help Leonard Fournette. All right, moving forward here. We got the Falcons. We got the Panthers. The Falcons surprise again. And now that it's two surprises in a row, it's more than coming off of a bye against a divisional opponent. Yes, it's another divisional matchup, but it's more than that. It shows me a couple of things. It shows me, first of all, first and foremost, Dan Quinn should be fired. And I know what you're going to say, well, like, well, wait a minute. He changed everything around. Now they've won the last two games. They've been competitive. They're improving. No, 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 no. He should be fired. Because first of all, Dan Quinn's never been accused as to be a guy who was a great motivator or a great leader. That wasn't his skill set. He had a disciplinary thing to him, and he had what was supposed to be a defensive mind to what was an offensive juggernaut team. That was why he got the job at Atlanta in the first place. If you're telling me that this defense has been so putrid for the past two years because Dan Quinn has been the one calling the plays, and now all of a sudden because somebody else is calling the plays, this same talent on defense, which there is talent on this team, there is talent on this defense, this same talent can all of a sudden look like they are a top five defense in the NFL, because that's the way they've played the last two weeks. These are two good offenses they shut down. If you're telling me all it took was Dan Quinn to stop having to call plays, why do you need him? Why do you need him? And if that's really the case, you're terrible at what you do. Absolutely horrendous at what you do. Two weeks in a row now, the Atlanta defense came up big. 
And now, moving forward, being that it's been two games in a row, being that it's been against two good offenses, you can't just look at the Atlanta Falcons as uh, Atlanta Falcons defense on your schedule for your fantasy players moving forward and be like, oh, got a great matchup there. I don't know that you do. They're doing all of this without Trufant back yet. They're number one corner. What happens then with the new play caller and then when they get their number one corner back? Look, I just don't think it can be a definite certainty that this defense is going to be future when you get to play them and they're going to be a plus matchup for whatever fantasy player you have in their schedule upcoming with the way they're playing right now. I don't think I don't think it's a given. Now they, they might come back down to what they've been most of the season. It's still a possibility. But it doesn't they've looked really good the last two weeks and it looks more is it's not just a fluke. It's definitely something more concrete than that. So while I don't expect them to dominate the teams, you know, every single week like they have for the past couple of weeks since the Saints against the Panthers. I, I do think that this is no longer just a pushover team that you're going to be facing when your players go up against these guys. So something to kind of keep in mind there, a big kind of, you know, a big kind of factor to go in when you're going into playoff matchups and you're looking for teams, you're looking for players, you're looking to consolidate your teams, you're looking for guys that have good matchups down the stretch. I don't think the Falcons are just somebody you can chalk up in the win column as a plus matchup. Not blindly anyway. Matt Ryan this game was good. 21 of 31, 311 yards, touchdown pass. Uh, he was definitely he's definitely still hurt, but he was able to produce. And that's what that's all you really care about. Calvin Ridley, welcome back. And I said it this week, I was like, look, with no Austin Hooper, if Calvin Ridley can't go off this week against the Carolina Panthers secondary, where the targets besides him and Julio shouldn't be going anywhere else, then I don't know when when or if you're going to be able to trust Calvin Ridley again for the rest of the season for fantasy football. He delivered in a big way. A big way. Eight catches, 143 yards, a touchdown on eight targets. Without Austin Hooper, without Mohamed Sanu, Calvin Ridley should establish a floor for himself moving forward. He still has to be considered more of a high-end wide receiver for as of right now because it was only one game. But he should be working himself back into wide receiver three territory who's somebody you can play in a plus matchup soon to come. That should be the case as long as Austin Hooper is out, which we expect to be for a month. Julio Jones, he was solid. Six catches, 91 yards, eight targets. Just continues to be a little bit disappointment after the... He was he was juggernaut wide receiver in the beginning of the season. And as of late, he just hasn't been on the same level. He hasn't scored nearly as much. Uh, he's not going over 100 yards as much. He's been solid every single week. He's not doing bad for you by any stretch of the means, but he hasn't been having those big Julio-type games. And in this matchup against the Carolina Panthers, especially no Bradbury, you kind of expected that to be the case. It wound up being Calvin Ridley, and maybe that's something we're going to have to take into consideration moving forward is that there's going to be some games Calvin Ridley goes off, some games Julio goes off. But I think better days are ahead for Julio, and it's not like he gave you a bad game in the meantime, so I'm not panicked on him. They got Tampa Bay next week. They should be okay. Brian Hill was the big disappointment on the day. 15 carries, only 30 yards, one catch, eight yards. Here's what I will say. If you have Devontae Freeman, he was still initially diagnosed that he was going to miss two weeks. So the expectancy is that he will still miss next week. Although Dan Quinn seemed like he didn't want to necessarily rule him out this week. So we'll see how he's able to recover. We know it's just more of a minor injury than anything else. It wasn't long-term. But for people who thought maybe they would just shut down Freeman, being that this Atlanta team is being more competitive and trying to play really tough as of late, and Dan Quinn, remember, he still has his job on the line that he's trying to play for right now, 
we might see them bring Freeman back if he is good to go. And being that Brian Hill did not have a very good game against a team that had been getting gashed until this point, it maybe put more of an emphasis on we still we need Devontae Freeman. It, it might it might put an emphasis on that. So just kind of keep that in mind. If you have Freeman and you weren't sure what you're going to do the rest of the season, I think there's a, a, a opportunity now that being that Brian Hill was not able to take advantage of this matchup that they could bring back Freeman as soon as he's ready. They might not shut him down for the rest of the year. Remember, they got the Saints coming up next. It's not so if Freeman does miss, it's not like Brian Hill's gonna have a great game next week. I'm always gonna and look, this is one of the calls that you could say on paper I got wrong. Fine. I'm always gonna tell you to play the running back who's in a situation to get a workhorse type of role. And that's what he did. I mean, outside of him, Quadri Allison was the only other guy who got carries, four carries, 11 yards. Now he wound up getting the rushing touchdown, which is annoying as all hell if you're a Brian Hill owner. But it still wasn't like he was a committee. It still wasn't like he was stealing touches away from Brian Hill. I think the biggest thing is that Brian Hill was not involved in the passing game as much as you thought he would be. Only three targets in this game, one catch for eight yards. You expect him to be more involved in that capacity at the very least. I know I did, which is why I thought he had a big floor coming into this game. I expect that to correct itself, especially against the Saints. I think the only thing he's going to be able to do is catch the ball out of the backfield. But <laughs> but against the Saints, you might want to look for other options. It's not a great matchup to begin with. He didn't give you anything to give you confidence moving forward into that matchup. But don't, don't you know, it's only if you have a guy who has a really good matchup and you trust what his workload's going to be. Because still keep in mind, a workhorse running back, a guy who's in position to get those type of target volumes, who's in a good offense on top of that, which he is, is going to be in a position to be able to do what he needs to do more times than not. <clears throat> on the Panther side of the ball, uh, Christian McCaffrey finds you away even without scoring. 14 carries, 70 yards, but 11 catches for 121 yards on 14 targets. Look, Carolina had to come back in this game. Kyle Allen threw the ball 50 times. It's not something you expect. He was horrendous in this game. Yes, he went over 300 yards, but he had four interceptions. Looked awful. Looked lost. Expect him to get back to the basics next week, which means running the football, playing a little bit better defense. And I don't expect them to be in too many games where they fall from behind as much and as fast as they did in this one. And I think it caught him off guard a little bit. I think all of us still thought that the Falcons had pretty much blew their load against the Saints a week ago, and they clearly showed that that was not, in fact, the case. So kind of keep that in mind. Better days are ahead for the other pass catchers. DJ Moore was still DJ Moore. 15 targets, but 8 catches, 95 yards. That's pretty much the stat line you've been getting at DJ Moore almost every single week. Curtis Samuel was a disappointment in this one. 4 catches, 25 yards only. Seven targets. You expect in a game where Kyle Allen had to throw the ball 50 times. He had been a little bit more involved. But Curtis Samuel, his production has been tied to him scoring touchdowns. When the games he doesn't score touchdowns, he's been very disappointing. And for a guy who's not a big red zone target, for that to be the case, it doesn't really give you warm feelings to actually have to play him moving forward. But he's been productive enough. He should definitely be rostered. He's definitely a guy in the right matchup is going to have a flex appeal. But just kind of keep that in mind that if you don't feel like he has a great chance to score that particular week, it means he's probably not going to have a good week. And we'll talk about that in the preview matchups and whatnot. So we're going to take one more break, come back on the other side, finish out the last four games that we had from the Sunday afternoon. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become a new member of Overtime Heroics. 
Overtime Heroics is a fantastic sports media platform for sports fans all around the world to come and participate in their extensive forums. And now with the merger of the Land Sports Network, the website will soon have great content available from extremely well-written articles to entertaining and informative podcasts from all sports for you to enjoy. All you have to do is register for free at OvertimeHeroics.com to participate. Again, that's OvertimeHeroics.com. All right, coming out of the break, we're about to hit the hour mark, so we're running a little bit short on time. I don't try to go too much over an hour, but sometimes we just have a lot to go over, a lot to talk about, and I want to make sure you guys got all the information and entertainment that you could possibly want or fathom and need for your matchups moving forward. That's the most important part. So we are going to speed up the last four games a little bit here so we don't go too far over for you guys. Make sure you get everything you need in in a timely manner. So with the New York Jets and the Washington Redskins coming out of this game, so Sam Darnold finally took advantage of one of his many, many plus matchups that he's had and still has yet to have over the next few weeks. Uh, had 293 yards, four touchdowns in this one. Finally didn't look pathetic out there. 19 of 30. Uh, that was the biggest thing here. But it's not something I'm going to expect. Look, we've had plus matchups in the past, and he hasn't been able to take advantage. This was a great match against the Redskins too, but I'm not going to feel great about it. There's, he's always going to be a tempting option the rest of the season because they have such a great schedule the rest of the way. And you're going to look at games like this and be like, hey, he's, he's shown he has flashes, he's shown he has the opportunity, but you're not really going to be able to trust Sam Darnold as a streaming option, no matter what the matchup is. The question is, how does everyone else's fantasy value fall into place? Le'Veon Bell, 18 carries, 59 yards. Again, not efficient on the ground, but for the second week in a row, does find the end zone at the end of the game. Scores on a one-yard line, so he's still getting to work at the goal line. He's still the main running back. Bilal Powell was worked in more in this game. Most of it came on a series that they just took Le'Veon Bell out to give him a break uh, in the first half. I believe it was the first quarter. And uh, Bilal Powell just had like a really great series. It's pretty much where Boyletown is, where most of his production came. He had seven carries, 42 yards, uh, one catch for five yards. But this was still very much Le'Veon Bell's backfield. He still had 20 touches overall, gave you two catches for 33 yards in the passing game. That's been the big factor, though, is that Le'Veon Bell has been nearly as involved in the passing game as he was early on in the season, which is kind of concerning because that was really where he's getting more of his efficient production from was when he was involved in the passing game. But he continues to get through games healthy. Uh, we know he got a little bit nicked up over the past couple of weeks, but uh, once again, finished this one, didn't come out through the injury. So he might go down as a guy who doesn't practice on Wednesday. He might go down as a guy who's questionable, but I think that just has more to do with them limiting his workload down the stretch here on a team that's you know 3-7 and seven than it does with anything else. This is still Le'Veon Bell's backfield. He's still the workhorse. He still has a plus matchup to be able to take advantage of. Uh, in this game... Ryan Griffin, five catches, 109 yards, a touchdown on five targets. I told you guys, he's a streaming tight end the rest of the way with no Chris Hernan. Streaming tight end the rest of the way. And he's been solid almost every single game. Big performance in this one. I'm not expecting these type of performances, obviously. If I was, I'd be calling him a tight end one, and I'm not. But he's going to be on the waiver wire report. He is a top streaming guy that you can go to. He's been productive almost every single week and has been a solid tight end for you guys. He's definitely somebody who should be picked up, especially if you've been looking for tight ends in that situation and haven't yet picked up Ryan Griffin. Uh, Jamison Crowder, third week in a row that he has scored. And third week in a row that he's had at least five catches. 76 yards, eight targets in this one. Continues to be the leading pass 
targeted pass catcher target guy on this team on a week in week out basis. The only one I still say that you can trust. Demarius Thomas went back down having five targets, four catches, 44 yards. Robbie Anderson, he scored three catches, or I'm sorry, three targets for one catch, six yards on that score of that touchdown. That was it. James Crowder continue to play him because no matter what Sam Darnold does, whether he plays well or whether he's played bad in the past, as long as James Crowder has a plus matchup, he is a guy that consistently is being utilized in this offense on this team. He scored three weeks in a row. He is somebody who's squarely in a wide receiver three position now at this point. And is somebody I think you can continue to play as they get their nice schedule in for the next another three weeks to go. Maybe a little bit more. As far as the Redskins side of the ball goes, Dwayne Haskins didn't play great. Looked a little bit better in this one than he had in the past few matchups that they were in. But still wasn't a great situation. 19-35, 214 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, the big thing was, though, is they got, he got the ball to Terry McLaurin. Three catches, 69 yards, four targets. Not a huge stat line, but it should have been a lot bigger. He had a, Terry McLaurin had a huge play and just kind of got taken away from him at the end there. So it could have been a much better day for Terry McLaurin in this one. <clears throat> He's another one of those guys where, on paper, I kind of got the call wrong, but not for logical reasons, and frankly, he should have had a better game. So... Not too worried about that part of it. Calvin Harmon was worked in a little bit here. Six six targets, five catches, 53 yards. But I think outside of Terry McLaurin, there's not another pass catcher you can really uh, sink your teeth into at all or even be concerned about. As far as the running backs go, Adrian Peterson had nine carries for 25 yards. Darius Geis had seven carries for 24 yards. So it was a pretty even split at the end of the day for this team. Now, yes, they had to get away from the running game because they were down by so much. But it kind of goes to show you, yeah, AP might get the start. They want to get Darius Geis worked in. This team is in rebuild mode. They're trying to see what they have in the future. Uh, Geis is somebody who would continue to expect to get worked in. Now, the big thing, though, was that he wasn't that involved in the passing game. He had the catch for 45 yards and the touchdowns. Yes, he had the big play there. That's true. But he only had two targets. He wasn't actually that worked in. So you can't expect him to break a big play like that every time on, on that little amount of volume. I will be curious to see what happens. Wendell Smallwood was more worked down as a passing down back. So I do think there seems to be, whether it's because Darius Geis can't, it still isn't ready to pick up the pass protection on a consistent basis. I think that might be the main issue. There still seems to be the Redskins will use somebody else as the pass catcher. So when Chris Thompson comes back, there may be a role for him still, but we'll have to see exactly when that'll come back. And really with the Redskins offense, outside of Terry McLaurin, I don't really want to have to own too many other pieces to this team. On the Cardinals and the 49ers, this was an interesting game. Kyler Murray played very well. He only had 150 yards passing, but he had two touchdowns. He ran for 67 yards. He picked up another rushing touchdown. This is a good defense here. His rushing stats, he's been using more and more, and it's been giving him a nice floor for fantasy football purposes. So even when he doesn't throw the ball all that well, like he didn't do in in this game, he still puts himself in a position to give you a QB1 type of performance. That's why he continues to be somebody that you can keep playing week in and week out. David Johnson, I told you guys to stay away from him. He did not touch the ball once in this game. It was all Kenny and Drake. 10 carries, 67 yards, so pretty good efficiency, but just didn't get that many carries. And he did get a lot of receptions, six receptions, but all of them were pretty much at the line of scrimmage. As a result, he only had 13 yards, didn't score in this game. But 
Kenyon Drake, we'll see what happens after the bye week. We know Chase Edmonds is expected to come back in week 13 when they when the Cardinals go on their bye week next week in week 12. So we'll see what the split winds up being then. We'll see if David Johnson's able to get healthier. But like I said, going into this matchup, David Johnson didn't look like he belonged on the football field and he wasn't on the football field. I really wouldn't be surprised they wound up shutting him down for the rest of the season. Because that's frankly what they should do. And just use Kenyon Drake, use Chase Edmonds, and just go that route. Because really right now, David Johnson, just for his career, has to get healthy. Otherwise, he might be done. We don't, just the way he looks right now with that back injury, he's got to heal. Otherwise, he might be out of the league soon. And I, I, I mean that. I know that might be a hot take for some people because you're talking about David Johnson. It, that, it happens that fast with running backs, especially when they get injuries that they can't get over. It happens that fast. As far as receivers go, Christian Kirk was worked in. Six catches, 41 yards, nine targets in this game. Larry Fitzgerald was the one who scored. Farrell Cooper scored too, but you don't care about him for fantasy purposes. Larry Fitzgerald had five catches, 37 yards on that score for five targets. He just continues to not have nearly as much volume as of late. This team has gone to more of a run approach, more of a balanced approach in the offense, more of an RPO situation. Uh, so, look, Fitzgerald is somebody who has to be owned, I believe, but... You're going to really have to pick and choose what your matchups are. I don't know how many more games the rest of the season you're really going to want to play Fitzgerald. Christian Kirk is still the number one wide receiver of this team. And it was a tough matchup. You didn't expect to have a big stat line, and he didn't in this game. But it goes to show you, even against the 49ers, for a second week in a row, off of his injury, Christian Kirk is the guy that Kyle Murray is going to more times than not and has become that number one wide receiver in this offense. On the 49ers side of the ball, Jimmy Garoppolo, he must just love playing the Arizona Cardinals. Didn't have George Kittle in this game, and yet still found a way to go off. 424 yards, four touchdowns. Did have the two picks, but who cares when you're putting up a stat line like that? Unfortunately, they do not play the Cardinals the third time this season, because apparently whenever they play the Cardinals, you can go ahead and stream Jimmy Garoppolo. Outside of that, it's kind of a crapshoot. So that's what we kind of took away from that. The big thing was the disappointment in the running game. Tevin Coleman, 12 carries, 14 yards. Raheem Mostert playing for the hurt, injured Matt Breida, 6 carries, only 13 yards. 49ers, the number one run defense in the NFL, could not get their run, run game going against the Arizona Cardinals in this matchup. Plain and simple. That's what it boiled down to. They were, I mean, the Cardinals were playing for the run, yes, but very disappointing when you're talking about this, this offense, how they normally function in a matchup like this. Coleman... Uh, didn't give didn't give you much in the passing game. Three catches, 48 yards. So some serviceability there. Raheem Mostert, only two catches, 14 yards on three targets. Look for this rushing game to get back on track next week against Green Bay. So I'm not going to worry about too much there. Debo Samuel, eight catches, 134 yards, even though Emmanuel Sanders was active in this game, <clears throat> who only had three catches for 33 yards. So he was active. He clearly got used more as a decoy than anything else. And as a result, we saw Debo Samuel do great. Kyle Juszczyk, who came back in this game, was the first game back since his injury that knocked him out for a lot of this season. He had seven catches for 63 yards and seven targets. Now remember, before he went out, he was starting to become the pass-catching back for Kyle Shanahan. And if this game is any indication, now there was no Matt Breida, who's usually the guy they'll go to as the other pass-catching back. So we'll see what happens when Matt Breida comes back, exactly what his target share is going to be. But if this is any indication, Kyle Shanahan might be going back to that. Therefore, Kyle Juszczyk could actually wind up having some value in PPR leagues, if that's going to be the case. 
It's only one game back. It's the first game back. No Matt Breida. Let's wait to see when this when this backfield is at full strength, exactly what this is all going to shake out to be. But just something to kind of keep in mind moving forward. <clears throat> Devo Samuel, you have to roster him. But Emmanuel Sanders should be getting healthier as we move forward there too. So better days are ahead. Patriots and the Eagles. This, this was a brutal game to watch. 17 to 10. It wasn't. It was some good defensive play. I don't want to take away from the defense, but a lot of it was ugly offensive play when you really when you really break it down. Uh, look, Eagles didn't have really anybody healthy outside of Zach Ertz. Carson Wentz didn't really have anybody to go to. 20-40, 214 yards, a touchdown. Didn't turn the ball over. I think that was probably the biggest thing. But Zach Ertz did come in this game. Nine catches, 94 yards, 11 targets. There was really no one else left standing. Dallas Goddard did get the touchdown. He had three catches, 36 yards on six targets. But Nelson Aguilar was number one targeted wide receiver. Nine, only had four catches, 40 yards. Wasn't a great matchup, but he's also Nelson Aguilar. Like, he's just he's not going to do much. That, it was just it was good to see those Zach Ertz in this matchup against this team get worked in. This is the third week in a row now. Zach Ertz has finally sprung to life and may should continue this way for the rest of the season, especially if Alshon Jeffrey is going to be banged up, and especially since Deshaun Jackson's not going to be coming back anytime soon, maybe not at all unless this team makes the playoffs. Carson Wentz has better days ahead, too. I do think you're going to have times where you can play him, but... In tough matchups like this, when he doesn't have any weapons, I don't know what you can expect him to do, especially for fantasy purposes. As far as the Patriots go, Tom Brady was terrible in this game. 26 of 47, 216 yards, looked out of sorts. Did have a lot of pass rush, did have a lot of stuff in his face. Offensive line again, broke down the protection. He gets Isaiah Wynn back next week. So that should have really helped the offensive line, not just Brady, but also help the running game with Sony Michelle. But yeah, he needs some kind of protection out there because Tom Brady... Seems like he has about a second and a half clock in his head. Once it gets past that, he doesn't feel very comfortable that he's not going to get hit. And they're avoiding that at all costs. Sony Michelle didn't have a good game in this one. Didn't expect him to have a good game in this one. Told most of you guys to go ahead and bench him. Only 10 carries for 33 yards. Your only hope for Michelle to do anything in this game was going to be for him to fall into the end zone. I uh, Especially against the Philadelphia Eagles. I do think better days are ahead for him. Like I said, as anyone comes back, it also helps Sony Michelle. I think the Patriots have some better matchups coming up. Uh, the second half of the season, that'll make it a little bit easier on Michelle as well, especially for running games. So I do think better days are ahead for Sony Michelle. So don't don't give up hope on him just yet. As far as James White goes, five carries, twenty yards, did get four catches for sixteen yards on seven targets. Just wasn't nearly as effective as in this game. The Eagles were pretty ready for him throughout. Julian Edelman, five catches, fifty three yards on ten targets. Will continue to have a safe floor, especially in PPR leagues. Number one wide receiver, even when Brady's not playing well. This is go-to guy. He's always going to have that floor for you. It's just going to be a question against the Philadelphia Eagles. The fact that the other wide receivers, like Mohamed Sanu, huge disappointment. Only two catches for four yards on four targets. And, you know, Philip Dorsett, he did have a touchdown in this game, but he wasn't worked in as much. Neil Keel Harry only had three catches for 18 yards on four targets. We're kind of waiting to see exactly what his role might be. Against this Philadelphia Eagles team that has a bad secondary, the fact that nobody was able to really take advantage is pretty disappointing. Last game for the Sunday night, for the Sunday afternoon games, last game for this podcast, the Bengals and the Oakland Raiders. This wound up being a much lower scoring, closer game than I expected it to be. Bengals side of the ball, Ryan Finley was once again terrible. He's not a good quarterback. He's not the future. And frankly, because I think you can kind of tell already that he's not the future. If I'm the Bengals, 
I mean, maybe at this point you're just like, look, I'm just trying to get as high of a pick as possible, so you just want to make sure you get the number one pick, so you're just going to keep losing games. But I would go back to Andy Dalton. I mean, you got to give these players something to play for. If A.J. Green's not going to come back, and Alden Tate had a nasty injury, even though he's now saying that he's okay, I, I you got to give this team some kind of hope, some kind of competitiveness. I mean, you even see the Dolphins try to be competitive at the very least. It looks like the Bengals are just trying to find ways to lose by playing Ryan Finley out there. Uh, they would have won this game, I think, if Andy Dalton played. So that, that kind of tells you all you need to know. Joe Mixon was good in this game. 15 carries, 86 yards, a touchdown for him. Finally finding the end zone. Wasn't worked in as much in the passing game as I expected him to be. Only three targets, a catch for 17 yards. But they're back to making him the workhorse guy. They're getting him involved. And in some of these plus matchups, you can expect Joe Mixon to have some better productivity, I think, moving forward. And they're going to continue to have to lean on him with Ryan Finley back there as quarterback. So that's been the one bright spot since Ryan Finley's taken over is that Joe Mixon, due to the volume, has been playing a bit better, has been getting more production. Look, as far as pass rushers go, for them, Tyler Boyd, one catch, zero yards, three targets. I don't know if you could trust a wide receiver. I know Alden Tate was having a decent game before he got hurt. He had six targets for four catches and 56 yards, but... With Ryan Finley back there, outside of Joe Mixon, there's nobody else in this Bengals offense that I even want. On the Raiders' side of the ball, Derek Carr played another solid game. 25 of 29, 292 yards, touchdown, and interception. He's always going to do not more than what he has to, but not less than what he can. And I know that sounds kind of a bit of an oxymoron for quarterbacks, but that's pretty much the epitome of his game. It's not going to be overly aggressive, but... He is being more aggressive. He is being more confident than he was last season, which is making him somewhat streaming relevant in plus matchups, but also keeping his fantasy players fantasy relevant. Tyrell Williams, four catches, 82 yards on four targets. Darren Waller falling his work back into the offense, five catches, 78 yards on seven targets. That was definitely good to see in a plus matchup here, but the biggest thing is just to get him back worked in his offense. He needs to be worked back in. He's too good of a playmaker, too good of a guy for them to just kind of go away from like they have for the past couple of weeks. Hunter Renfro had five catches, 66 yards on six targets in this game. He is now officially continues to be even in pro game scripts where they don't have to do a lot of the passing game he is one of the three pass catchers they are going to go to out of him waller and williams uh in games where they have a lot of volume passing you think it could be high scoring i think hunter renfro has some ppr value but just know that he has a wide range of outcomes more times than not and really tyra williams darren waller would be the guys who will be scoring more of the time than not uh where hunter renfro is really going to be kind of on the outside looking in when it comes to that aspect of the game Josh Jacobs was predictably good. 23 carries, 112 yards, continues his heavy workload. Had three catches for 12 yards in the passing game. It was a great matchup for him. You know he's a workhorse every single week. He just continues to be a high-end RB2 who has RB1 potential when he has matchups like this. That wraps up the podcast for today. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Remember, we'll be back tomorrow with the Sunday night 
and the Monday Night Recaps along with the Waiver Wire Report. So make sure you check that out. You're not going to miss a thing there. You can always check me out on any one of your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Pinecast, Spreaker, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you go, the MD's Fantasy Football Show is widely available to you. Make sure you're following me along on social media at Show on Twitter, at Show for Facebook. And of course, you can go to the website where I have all the updated rankings every single week, www.mdffshow.com. Make sure you're checking out any one of my networks, Overtime Heroics, Unwrap Sports and Belly Up Sports, which we do the sportscaster videos with, which will be again this week in the preview shows. Make sure you're asking me your questions. I will select a few to be in those mailbag segments during the preview shows and get shout outs. I always love to give uh, some love back to MD Nation. You guys do a lot of great things for us here. I hope you guys all have a lovely day. Good luck in your Monday night matchups, and I will see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 